I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to You're On Mute, a new podcast series conceived by BBI, the UK's first black business institute, an organization which aims to boost prospects for underprivileged black entrepreneurs by promoting equivalent access to the UK's funding structures and essential business networks. I'm your host, entrepreneur and business mentor, Bianca Miller-Cole. And over the next 12 weeks, myself and my fellow hosts, June Sarpong and Lord Michael Hastings, will be interviewing an incredible lineup of leaders, icons and changemakers to ascertain how they balance the importance of commercial performance versus societal impact. As we all know, with great power comes huge responsibility. And this series looks at how those in positions of influence can use their status as a force for good. Our time together is broken down into three sections with the guests sharing their favorite pieces of music or soundtrack representing a memorable stage of their life. Joining me today is Chris Turner, CEO of B Corp UK, with our topic, Social Justice, the growing case for businesses to prioritize racial diversity and inclusion. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Bianca. It's great to be here. So, Chris, as you know, the podcast is broken down into three segments with your chosen piece of music preceding each one. You've chosen Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Bands the Beatles as your first track, a classic from another generation, but not an obvious choice. Um, who was Chris Turner at that time and why is this song so important to you? Well, thanks, Bianca. Yeah, maybe it isn't an obvious choice. It's funny, I, I picked that and I thought, gosh, you know, what a kind of pedestrian choice. Like everyone loves the Beatles and they fit the Beatles. But yeah, for me, I, you know, I wasn't one of those I wasn't one of those kids that was kind of always, you know, singing along to song. You know, I wasn't very musical. I've never been very musical. I can't I have no talent whatsoever. Um, but um, I remember just I, I was given actually um, two kind of compilation albums of the Beatles. You know, there's a red and a blue one when I was it must have been early teens. Um, and that they just blew me away. And I was like, OK, I, you know, these are songs I can get really excited about. And then obviously was into the Beatles and then someone gave me. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the album. And from a kid who wasn't very musical, wasn't very creative, suddenly it was the first time I'd ever listened to kind of an album where you're kind of just entering this whole world, you know, and the Beatles managed to kind of, you know, the imagination, you know, and just manufacturing this whole kind of experience that you have through listening to an album. And it was the first time I'd ever kind of seen music in that way as kind of creating a world. And, and kind of constructing this whole sort of imaginative landscape that you could sort of, you're almost walking through it as you listen to the album. Um, and everything from like the cover of the album, you know, with the drum and all the characters. And I would go through and try and work out who they all were. And, you know, everything about it really was just a, a bit of an eye opener for me. So really a sort of um, kind of, um, uh, yeah, significant um, discovery. I love that. And I love that you've chosen something that is, 
could be considered to be unusual <laughs> or, or but typifies your childhood. So I love that. Um, so as CEO of the B Corp UK, you represent a vanguard of new business culture, but we're keen to know a little bit more about the man able to inspire so many. So here we go. Where did you grow up and how has that shaped your personality? That's a good, that's a good question. Well, I grew up in, I grew up in a village, um, a little you know, English countryside um, village, you know, uh, in Hampshire, so not too far away from London. But um, for me, I, I, London was always kind of just out of reach, you know, I mean, it was an hour away on the train, so it's not exactly a, a trek. But as I was a kid and growing up, I think there was that sort of feeling of being um, away from the action um, that was going on in the, you know, in the big city. And um, first chance I got, I went to university in London um, and, and threw myself into the into the action. Of course, now I love getting back out to the countryside and, you know, getting away from the hustle and bustle. But um, but yeah, so I think growing up in that in that kind of environment was a brilliant childhood. And, um, you know, it, it meant I got to spend lots of time just playing outside and just doing kid stuff and I was kind of quite competitive as a kid and enjoyed like games and and stuff and uh, so so yeah it's probably kind of formed a bit of kind of competitive nature um, but also I guess appreciating the the, the kind of um, I guess being able to sort of look at you know what goes on in you know, I spend a lot of time, obviously, you know, working with businesses and CEOs and, you know, in the sort of the boardrooms and the, you know, the corridors of power and influence or whatever. But if you come from a little village in the middle of nowhere, you can kind of view that a little bit as an outsider always and just kind of maintain that perspective of kind of like, well, yes, but, you know, the rest of the world's out there. Um, and that's where people are living their lives. So hopefully that's something that I can kind of carry with me. I understand you were inspired by a particular leading entrepreneur. Who was that? What aspect inspired you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny looking back, really, because when I was a when I was a kid, I mean, I mentioned, you know, I was a I was a competitive kid and like, you know, games and, and sports and things. And um, yeah, my my kind of ambition, you know, I suppose my goal was 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 quite basic looking back. You know, I just wanted to be like you know, successful businessman, entrepreneur, you know, rich and successful. And, and it was, you know, it, it, I, I, you know, to some extent, it's a sign of the times, you know, that was what that was as simple as success looked, you know, at that time and at that age. And so, yeah, I always, you know, at that time, it, you know, sort of mid 90s, it was Richard Branson, you know, he was the sort of the celeb entrepreneur. And he was the big, you know, there was, this was before the you know, before the Elon Musk days and the, you know, Steve Jobs's glorious return to Apple and all that sort of stuff. So at that time, yeah, Richard Branson was really the kind of, and obviously such a showman, but he was the kind of entrepreneurial kind of uh, idol that, that I looked up to. And uh, it's funny looking back now, because yeah, that's that not the path I've gone down at all. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you said quite a simple aspiration to just be rich and successful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I that. Is that... <laughs> That was I like that that simplicity. Is that what led you to your education at the London School of Economics? I do you know what I I think it's probably less less that and more um, that I I had I, I spoke a little bit earlier about just being drawn to London. So it always felt like you know going to university in London always felt like the the thing you know the thing I was going to do or I'd be in the city. I think. Um, 
you know, the the LSE for me was a it was a great place to study, and I studied history, and I was always been a bit of a kind of history history nerd. So it was a good place to study history, but with that kind of focus on social history, um, which which was always always the bit that, that kind of interested me most, and bringing in the politics and stuff. So it just felt like the right kind of blend of things that I was interested in. You know, I think I've always slightly been challenged by the idea of just studying one subject, um, and going to the LSE was a nice way of maintaining a bit of kind of cross-discipline. So tell me, after your time at London School of Economics, what was your first big job, your first kind of major break? After studying at LSC, I studied history and, and you know, there's no, it doesn't really lead to, lead naturally to any profession unless you're going to be a historian, obviously. Um, and so it was a real challenge, I remember for me and, you know, all the other um, people in my uh, class because from from the London School of Economics most people go off and work in banks or for consultants and things like that and certainly that was never on the cards for me that never grabbed me so I ended up getting a job in marketing um, and I did that for a year and I I learned a lot first job you're always going to learn a lot but I didn't love it it didn't feel as if I was sort of um, doing something that meant meant a lot to me and um, so I in the summer of 2008 I um, I just quit that job and I got on a plane to Philadelphia and I turned up at um, the Obama campaign headquarters in Philadelphia in the in the midst of his first presidential campaign and just said put me to work um, and and spent a few months working on his campaign right up to election day um, and that was really like it was early on obviously in my career but that was really quite a quite a um, again an eye opener but a real kind of I suppose, formative experience, because you just kind of realize how much, I guess, how much it kind of um, unlocks in you if you're doing something you really, really care about. And clearly I did. <laughs> so, Chris, you casually dropped in, you know, the word Obama and being involved in that campaign. He obviously went on to be president and, you know, has left a tremendous legacy. So how much were you involved in that campaign? I, I I don't take very much credit, I have to say, for for electing Obama. I mean, for me, it was just an amazing thing just to be a small, a tiny part of. Um, so so my contribution was minor, but but it was for me, it had a massive impact. Um, I think you know the 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 sort of you know again I you know study history and and actually I'd focused on on American history a lot in my studies, and so you know that moment. Um, in 2008 felt as if it was the real kind of confluence of so many sort of broad sweeps in American history, you know, presidential history, you know, the history of civil rights, you know, so much of it came together at that moment. So from a historical perspective, that's kind of why I went um, and being part of that was amazing. But then when I got there, um, seeing, you know, I was in sort of inner city Philadelphia um, you know, kind of, you know, doing volunteer organizing and that sort of thing. But you know, I got to shake Obama's hand and, and go to his rallies and just kind of seeing the impact that he had on people, you know, seeing, you know, tens of thousands of people and just kind of the uh, the the passion that they had for a politician at the end of the day <laughs> is, is was kind of remarkable, really. And, um, you know, you can't not be you can't not be sort of impacted by that. So, um, yeah, left a left a big left a big mark mark on me for sure. The next president. Donald Trump, very, very, you know, contrasting in style. Is he seeking B Corp status? And what adjustments would he need to make, if any? Well, I think, 
I, 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 I'd be very surprised if um, if Donald Trump is is seeking status, but um, it would be fair to say that he'd have a lot of work to do, and his his businesses, I think, would have a lot of work to do. There's a we our assessment is is rigorous and unrelenting, and um, and I'm not sure uh, uh, I'm not sure whether or not they'd stand up to that scrutiny. But um, one of the things that we um, we have as part of the B Corp certification process is a disclosure. Um, part of the process where businesses who want to certify have to disclose where they have um, pending legal action, for example. So um, I think even in the last couple of days, there's some news which would suggest that would be a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. Okay, <laughs> well, moving into section two now, where we talk about traditional DNI challenges. And the next track you have chosen is A Certain Romance by the Arctic Monkeys. So tell me a bit about that track for you. Yeah, now this was, so I picked this, this track. I mean, it's, it's strange. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, it's funny in your, in your teens, you know, it feels like a, I guess every band or, you know, every new, new bit of music you discover is like a big discovery and it's a big thing and they really stay with you. And then you get into your twenties and it's much less kind of memorable. You know, it feels like there's, a, you know, it, it, you kind of go through it much quicker, but this, this track I picked because the first time, again, not being very musical as a teenager, I didn't go to a festival until until 2006. Didn't go to go to the festival. I went because I was desperately trying to um, string together some holiday jobs to pay for my London student life. Um, and I ended up running a soft drink stall at Reading Festival, trying to flog um, Red Bull to um, teenagers. And... Um, managed to clock off one day and go and see the Arctic Monkeys who were headlining. And it, it, it was incredible. You know, it was the first, you know, first time I'd seen like a, you know, big rock gig, you know, and again, thousands of people losing their minds. And they closed out with this song. It's like, I mean, it's a great song, but everyone knew the words and, you know, it's just kind of massive kind of euphoria, collective euphoria as they sort of played out with this. So yeah, again, a real, uh, uh, just a moment. More than the song, it was that moment. I love that. And those those moments are things you remember, aren't they? Just throughout your lifetime. So tell us a bit more about B Corp. What, what are its origins and purpose and how was it introduced into the UK? Yeah, of course. So B Corp started back in 2006, 2007 in the US. Um, and and when it when it started, it was very much it was started by um, three guys in the US who, who um, were very keen to find a way, essentially, of um, embedding within a business all of the great ways they'd come up with of um, essentially prioritizing the welfare, well-being of the people that work for them um, and, and the kind of environment, you know, the, the natural world. And they put a lot of these policies and practices in place, but they realized that if they were to sell the business, you know, if it was to change hands, if leadership um, would change, then there was nothing kind of securing that and anchoring it. Um, and so they built this framework, the B Corporation framework, and, and constructed a certification, um, which, which became B Corp. Um, and actually over the years, you know, obviously that's, you know, over, you know, it's about 15 years ago now, that has really matured and transformed into actually um, thinking about if every business was to um, act in these ways, then actually we have the potential here to fundamentally change the role of business within our society. Um, and if you then think about, well, imagine if every business became a force for good, 
in society, then imagine how quickly we could start to address some of the really profound systemic challenges that, that we all face, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's race, racism, um, systemic racism, whether it's the climate emergency, whether it's rising inequality, if every business was working every day to try and address those challenges, I mean, we're getting there. Um, so that's our mission to create this equitable, just regenerative economy, which is supporting all people on the planet and the planet itself. Um, and the B Corporation movement has really flourished as a way of, you know, as a, as a very um, tangible way of businesses falling, you know, falling into, into, um, into the movement to contribute towards that mission, but also as a very clear kind of um, rallying cry for people who really believe in, in the potential of business to do that stuff. I love that. It's kind of the be the change you want to see kind of mantra. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. Exactly it. yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Was there a pivotal moment that changed the fortunes of the B Corp in the USA and similarly in the UK for you? That's a really interesting question because I, I think the answer is no, actually, because it's 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 really interesting seeing, you know, looking back at the um the the progress and the the journey that B Corp has been on and and I think what you need, you know, what's at the heart of this story is leadership. You know, what you really need in, in the early days and B, B Corp, the B Corp movement started in the UK in 2015. Um, and it started in the UK because of leaders, because we had two incredible co-founders um, who, who saw the movement growing in the US and thought there's absolutely a place for this in the UK. Um, because in turn, there are business leaders here who, who are crying out, you know, for a way of, you know, um, ensuring that every part of their business is, is aligned in terms of their values, um, but who also could then play an amazing role in, in growing that and, and bringing more businesses and inspiring more leaders to join them. So I think more than a pivotal moment, I think what's pivotal is the leaders who, who, you know, we've managed to get behind and get behind, you know, get behind us, you know, managed to recruit and support us and drive um, the movement forward as we've sort of found a, found a place. And then, of course, you have the world changing around you. Would you say that the likes of Innocent Drinks, The Body Shop, The Guardian, all becoming B Corp in 2018 started a trend for other brands? Yeah, I think so. I think the role of um, influential businesses and businesses that people really look up to, um, like the body shop, like Innocent, um, is so important um, because it, you know, the, the kind of at the very heart of any certification is credibility. And, you know, those big um, aspirational businesses signing up is, is huge for credibility. But I think also at the heart of the movement um, is, is kind of recognition. And of course, getting big brands on board and, and people who recognize those and then understand what lies behind something like the certification is so important in spreading our reach. So yeah, really, they are milestone moments for sure. All of the earlier adopters that we've spoken about, they have quite a similar thread in that they were quite socially responsible companies anyway in their DNA. Have you had any companies that maybe were less obvious targets and therefore required greater levels of transformation in order to meet your criteria? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, yes, definitely. I think one of the, one of the biggest things there is as we start working with bigger businesses, 
they have more work to do obviously you know you've got that you know the issues that come with scale and complexity and so you've got you know globally speaking you know you've now got massive multinationals like Danone who are on the journey towards certifying as a B Corp but it's taking them many many years um, you know they're midway through a kind of multi-year journey to certify the whole global business and that's a reflection of the rigor of the standards it's a reflection of the amount of work that they need to do to meet those standards. But of course, it's also a reflection of the commitment that they have to getting it done. I think another really interesting thing there is that we're seeing, again, the obvious, so to, so to speak, examples that you mentioned, you know, um, in some ways, it's kind of obvious because they are values-driven businesses, you know, from the get-go, and that's kind of clear to their customers. But they're also sort of B2C, and so the you know the, the the role of a certification in kind of proving their credentials is quite obvious there, but I think it's really exciting when we start seeing B two B businesses um, and businesses who who don't you know the certification doesn't play as obvious a role in sort of communications, adopting it just because it's the right thing to do and because it's a real kind of um, signifier of their values. And I think that's a great point to move us on to section three, looking at a progressive future for the brand but before we do that we'll go on to your third song your final hero by michael kiwanuka i don't know if i pronounced that right did i kiwanuka yeah yeah that was close enough i thought that was good yeah. why did you choose that song yeah so I, I i chose this song i think so i don't i most people i imagine discovered michael kiwanuka um through big little lies i don't know if you watched that tv show but he did the theme song um or one of his songs was was picked up as the theme song and that's how i discovered his music so he's a fantastic musician and and that that album um is 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 incredible it's just called kiwanuka um his last album um is is an incredible album and it's just if you listen to the song it kind of blends all these different styles and um and 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 it's just just a wonderful listen but he's also got this amazing story because he um he he um he really struggled with kind of self-confidence issues and actually between his first and second album he he nearly gave up music um and then and then suddenly found this success and this this album which i think was back in 2019 um, was, is very much a kind of, it's so personal and it's all about kind of him being him. It's self, you know, self-titled album. And it's kind of feels very much like you listen to it and it's like a guy really trying to sort of, you know, establish his, his identity and kind of say what he's all about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of really accessible music. As you can tell, I'm quite sort of mainstream in my music taste. It's really accessible music, but it's also kind of very personal and there's a lot of layers to it. Thank you. So how would you characterize the growing appeal of B Corp status? I would say, how would I characterize it? I think the, you know, I've been sort of in, in, in lots of conversations over the last couple of years, I've been torn whether or not to describe, you know, the B Corp movement as now kind of riding a wave, you know, because some of the things I've described in terms of kind of the, you know, the public consciousness of, Challenges which have been profound and pressing for a long time, but you know, climate emergency, you know, crisis in inequality and in equity, you know, they've been there all along, or certainly for the last, you know, for decades and decades. Um, but just in the last few years, you know, you're getting uh, not just an understanding of how um, deep and profound some of those challenges are, but the urgency. You know, people are suffering. 
the planet's dying, you know, and, and the, the clock, the clock in, in many cases is running out. And so I think within that, you know, within that context, you know, you could call that a wave. Um, you could call that a, a, a rising, you know, a rising tide, if you like. But, but whatever it is, or however you characterize it, um, I think, I think we know from the B Corporation side that um, we are in the right place at the right time now to offer to businesses a kind of a roadmap for how to play their part in addressing those challenges. And I think that's, that's really crucial. Um, but I think also there's, again, I'll bring in the leadership piece. Again, I think, you know, in, in tackling these crises, um, pe people need inspiration and inspiration quite often comes from role models and leaders who can kind of show the way. And so I think it's, it's really kind of crucial for us to make sure that we're, um, we're not just talking about our standards and the roadmap and, you know, uh, the steps businesses can take, but we're also pointing to the B Corps in our community and saying, get inspired because that's what good looks like. That's what good looks like is a, is a fantastic way to end that, that question. There were two big unexpected and dominant issues in 2020. How has the killing of George Floyd and the COVID-19 impacted on your business model? And did you feel a need to make any policy adjustments? Yeah, I think the, so, I mean, last year, I think can feel like a bit of a blur, can't it? But, um, you know, the picking apart the timing a little bit, you know, in March last year, um, as a global movement, we, we, or rather as a global organization, we, we definitely all got our heads together. Like, how do, how are we going to respond to COVID-19? Because this is going to have a profound impact on, on business, but of course, also on the people who, who are working for B Corps and our businesses. So that was a very, yes, absolutely. We, in, in that case, it was very much a case of thinking, well, on the one hand, you know, what do we need to put in place to provide support to to our businesses. So are they going to be able to pay their certification fees? Um, are they going to need more time to complete their recertifications? You know, all that kind of thing. But then on the other hand, it was also very much like, well, it's our job to look into our standards, to look into, you know, the work that we know B Corps are doing and provide resources to say, this is how you support your employees, whether it's shifting to flexible working, whether it's thinking about, um, you know, the kind of the well, the well-being of employees and, you know, the, the various things that businesses do, can do to support them. And so providing resources, providing um, kind of fora where, where B Corps could get together and, and support one another on that sort of stuff. So we did all, we did all of that. But then, of course, you're quite right that the, the murder of George Floyd um, last summer it was a, frankly, as it was for many people, a wake-up call um, for for us. And I think, um, you know, the again bringing this idea of leadership, you know, it's the the B Corp movement is full of leaders. It's leaderful. I quite like the word leaderful. Um, and and but of course, um, you know, we at the same time as kind of elevating those leaders within the community, we have to lead, you know, they, they also look to us to say, well, what's the right thing to do? Um, and that, at that moment, was a real challenge for us, you know, being open and, and transparent, we kind of, at that point, I think, like, almost everyone realized that we weren't doing enough, and that we weren't in the right place to credibly sort of respond as leaders for our community and more broadly. 
and so it really sparked in this in last summer a kind of period of um uh certainly kind of most importantly immediately i suppose reflection to discover that you know it's not immediately obvious that we weren't doing the right things there and then and we needed to kind of realize that and i think that was one of the first kind of um realizations which was that um huge there's huge global complexity when it comes to social justice um as a, you know more broadly um and that you know a lot of our resources do sit globally um and so we kind of relied on them we had a sort of a global statement our stance on on um yeah essentially on on social justice um and that very much kind of stands for all of our global partners we stand against anti-black racism and all forms of oppression uh, and we put out this statement and that 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 kind of clarified where we're coming from because there's no you know i don't think you can over communicate um on on these issues um but then we had to work out of course what does a you know there, there's there's such a sort of um it's so incumbent on us to be acting and not just talking. I think that's that's crucial here. Um, so from 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 sort of broadcasting that stance, I suppose we we lined up a whole bunch of things, and and um, that goes right the way through from our standards. So the standards that sit at the heart of the B Corp assessment, um, we began a review of those to see whether they were sort of um, best in class. From a um, and internally we call it Jedi justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, so from a Jedi perspective, where our standards um, best, you know, as good as they can be. And actually in the time since that, that review from a Jedi perspective has evolved into a wholesale review of our standards, which is ongoing. Um, but then from a, a global perspective, we started looking at um, the board, the global board. Um, and is that, you know, is there a, a you know, diversity of, of leaders? Um, within the organization. We also started recruiting kind of specialists um, on Jedi. Um, so essentially this is about sort of, um, you know, building our competencies as an anti-racist organization. That was really important, so again, so that we could be credible and we could act, you know, rather than just talking. Um, and from the UK perspective, again, real challenges because we're a small team actually in the UK. Um, we were single figures um back in summer of last year and so you know that that tension be between being looked at as um leaders or to be leaders um but also recognizing that that we didn't have those competencies you know within you know within the team and so we had to we went you know externally to get advice on how to ensure you know our recruitment practices were were sort of you know inclusive um we had to get training for the team and and keep learning so yeah there's a lot there like you know a lot we could unpack but there's there's a huge amount of work to do i think that evolution and growth is an essential part of a business but also your personal journey i think everyone can embrace the need to always keep growing and learning so previous to um the 2020 issues diversity and inclusion would have been covered by your csr no doubt um, and would have already formed part of b corp's purpose do you feel that negates the need for BBI and other similar organizations? No, absolutely not. I think, um, as you say, I think the this this work has to happen on so many levels. Um, and I think the 
the B Corp standards, for example, as I say, we're, we're, we're having a look at the B Corp standards and what more they can do from a Jedi perspective. But, but I think they're really important. And I think the, one of the things that we, um, that we did very quickly, um, actually last summer was bring together or create, um, create spaces for B Corps to come together and talk about all of the things that they were doing, um, when it came to, to Jedi work, um, so that they could all learn from one another because, you know, they might not all be doing the best things or the right things, but there are, you know, what we do know is that they're, um, they all want to be. <laughs> and so bringing them together to kind of learn from one another is really powerful. So, so things like that, that we can play that role. You know, we can evolve our standards. We could bring together people that we think are um, well positioned um, to kind of do more and do better and do that quickly. But at the same time, I think the more organizations like the BBI that you have with, you know, a, a, a tighter, a narrower focus on providing opportunities and access for specific groups that are underrepresented that can only be a good thing you know that's not you know that would never be at the expense of you know it's not a zero-sum game um so the more that we have of that i think is is only a good thing and should stand absolutely aside you know next to should stand absolutely um working um, alongside the work that we're doing on on standards, for example. Very interesting. Okay, so we are now coming to our final question. We've been beaten by the clock, and we <laughs> ask all of our guests to share their vision for the future and to make a pledge. So, first question: How does the B Corp look three years from now, and what is your pledge? Okay, so B Corp three years from now, I think um, we've got a really ambitious vision for transforming the economic system um, again so that it works for everybody and so that it safeguards the planet so when i look three years ahead um, we've got we've got a lot of work to do um, we've got um, we've got nearly 600 b corps in the uk but there are millions of businesses in the uk so what we need to do is really champion those b corps as the leaders and make sure that that you know any time a business is is looking to do better, do more, be good, that they're looking at B Corps as the inspiration for that. I think there are then you know in the next three years there are some really tangible things that we want to do in terms of policy. We want to change the law so that every single business has a legal responsibility for aligning the interests of their shareholders with those of wider society and the environment. And if we can get the law changed in that way, then essentially, you know, we're, we're changing the kind of framework, we're changing the paradigm within which everyday decisions are made within businesses. And that's a really kind of powerful kind of shift in the culture within business that I think that, that, that I think is really essential. So changes like that from a policy perspective, championing the B Corps that come into our movement and continuing to push forward the kind of thinking and standards that are essential to our credibility as leaders. So like we've been talking about with the Jedi work, I think those, those things are, are, are our big kind of priorities in the three years to come. In terms of a pledge, um, do you know what? I, I hope you don't think this is a cop-out, um, but I think the most powerful pledge when it comes to um, 
artwork on Jedi and when it comes to the work of the BBI is to say, we won't stop. There's no end goal. We keep pushing, we keep doing more. And ultimately, um, we'd be relentless. I mean, I think that's a great pledge, a pledge to continue to do more, learn more and continue your work and be relentless. I think that's, you know, there's so much more that can always be done, right? We always have to keep thinking of new goals and, and new missions and, and just keep creating. So I love that. Um, I, I think that's acceptable, Chris. I'm going to oh, let you have it. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Sadly, we are out of time, um, but I really want to thank you, Chris, for joining me today and opening up about your life, the remarkable organization, and of course, your future plans. And I have to say that acronym JEDI is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think that's amazing. Um, so thank you very much for joining, for joining me. Um, I know this episode will definitely stay with all of us for a very long time. Please join us next time on the BBI's You're On Mute, where we hear from another icon, business leader or famous personality. Until then, please subscribe, review and leave your feedback wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a leader and would like to share your journey and opinion on social justice and a fair society, please email us on podcast at blackbusinessinstitute.com. Until next time, goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.